30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard You're standing on a crowded New York City subway car when you spot a small piece of paper tucked into the corner of an ad. Beneath prayer hand emojis and pixelated crystal balls, you read this enticement to phone up a spiritual advisor. God-given power of prayer. Don't compare me with any other reader. There is no problem that she can't solve. Tells you how to hold your job, when you have failed, and how to succeed. Will tell you your troubles and what to do about them. Reunites the separated. Upon reaching womanhood and realizing she had a God-given power to heal, she has devoted a lifetime to this work. One visit will convince you she is superior to any other reader you have ever seen. Lifts you out of sorrow and darkness and starts you on the way to happiness and success. She is here for the first time in this vicinity, has just come from India, the land of miracles. You owe it to yourself to consult this gifted lady. From cross-adorned handbills for Miss Taylors and Miss Teresas to the bright red palm advertising Indian astrologers, psychic flyers are an interesting entity in New York's teeming information ecosystem. Like fleas on a dog or bedbugs in an AMC movie theater, these slips of psychoparasitic paper sit alongside the more official, approved ads offering a direct approach to the same fundamental marketing appeal. We have what you need. The answer to all your prayers is just one phone call away. Seeing these flyers on the train, they're just one in a choir of voices asking for your attention and money. But viewing them all in a space of their own is another experience entirely. The word museum comes from Muse, the goddesses of creative inspiration. Before everything was online and we could read through history with a click of the mouse, Museums were unique for their ability to take the disparate elements of everyday life, of history and science and art, and place them together in a single location so people could examine them all at once, taking in the scope and coming to new levels of understanding. My guest today is Harley J. Spiller, whose decade-spanning collection of psychic handbills now resides at the City Reliquary Museum in Brooklyn, New York. Harley is a passionate collector whose magpie-like amassings have ranged from Chinese takeout menus to coins, bottle caps, stamps, and beyond. After bequeathing his psychic flyers to the museum, where they were arranged and presented as an exhibit by the Parsons School of Design, Harley agreed to walk me through the archive so together we could learn how to seek your fortune. Harley Spiller, welcome to Ritual Space. Thanks, Devin Person. What's our magic word going to be? I hope a magic term is okay. Totally fine. Petrified wood. Petrified wood. So, one, two, three. Petrified wood. Why petrified wood? Well, I just learned that it's used in spiritualism. And it happened in a strange and 
spiritual way. I'm having my 60th birthday next week here at City Reliquary Museum in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And it's a benefit for this 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means if my guests would put a buck in the basket, they could take it off on their income taxes down the line on April 15th. And so I went to the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs Materials for the Arts Warehouse in Long Island City, New York, Mm -hmm. at 3300 Northern Boulevard, where it's a giant warehouse of stuff that arts organizations can get for free. Well, you have to write a thank you letter to the donor. Yeah. And the city accepts donations from anyone of stuff that might be made into art, repurposed, re-whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we went, and I, I just really wanted to get a piece of fabric with stars and moons on it. And it was there. And right next to it was a piece with the Milky Way pattern on it. So I got double what I was looking for. And then my friend Louise, who came with, we were also shopping for Franklin Furnace's arts education program. Mm -hmm. And it's shopping. One of the artists in our program says that materials for the arts is her Tiffany's. (laughs) Because, you know, a a wealthy individual can walk into Tiffany's and and look around and, and... buy what they like without having to ask the price. And here at Materials for the Arts, we teaching artists can get what we like without having to ask the price. Anyways, Louise was digging in a box of stuff I just wasn't attracted to and wouldn't have gone over in the fabric department. And she pulls out a bag and calls, Carly, come here, come here, come here, look. And, and she opens it up and there's a about a thousand fake French copper coins beaded around in this magical circle with colorful string and there's a dress and I'm like, it's a fortune teller outfit. There's sleevelets and bracelets and there's big charming fake jewels and it's like a a fortune teller outfit. I quick, quick, put it in the shopping cart. It is unbelievable. And I haven't answered anything about the petrified wood yet, but I'm getting there. I am. I am. And so MFTA, as we in the know call it, has new rules all of a sudden. And you have a two-hour limit. And they actually know that you've been there for two hours because you've come at an appointment. And they kicked us out. Very friendly, but we were kicked out. And on the way out, I said, oh, what's this? Kind of dragging my heels. In the arts and crafts department, there's a little small, like like a hotel room service jelly bottle size thing. And I look at the label on it and it says petrified wood. I said, oh, that's cool. I haven't seen petrified. Oh, that's cool. And I just threw it in the cart, came home, brought the stuff to work, laid the stuff out, put it in the spaces. And I looked at the jars and what is this? And it says, I forget the name, Sylvia's Spiritual Shop. And so I Google Petrified Woods Sylvia's Spiritual Shop, and lo and behold, it is used by spiritualists in my new and limited understanding to take us back in time. And and, and you oh. put it with certain crystals, and I think you are 
recreating the time when that tree was alive. Yeah. And so you go back, it helps you go into the past. So for the future, the distant future listeners that are hearing us right now, they can have their petrified Twinkies out that are preserved (laughs) and crystalline, and they'll have those sitting next to their hollow orb in which they're listening to this recording. Yes, yes, please do. Or go to Norway where there's a seed bank and maybe grow a new tree (laughs) for the next set. So I'd like to set the stage. So we're here in the city reliquary right now, and in front of us is this big wall that is full of the current exhibit, Psychic City, which is a collection of flyers and handbills advertising psychics and tarot readers and mediums that you have collected over the last 30 years. Correct. And how did you come to start collecting these psychic handbills and flyers? Because when I heard about the exhibit, I was so excited because since I moved to New York, I also started collecting these. And you find them up in the the subway ads tucked in or taped or pasted to telephone poles and I started ferreting them away and keeping them in a little folder so I'm I'm curious how to how these caught your attention as well they were given out when I came to New York in 1981 so I guess that was earlier than you yes and and you got them as handbills there would be these they were always small men <laughs> and I don't know why I, maybe that's wrong but that's my memory I mean it's 40 years ago, but they would be, as you came out of the subway at rush hour, they'd be standing there and offering them and most people spurned them and I would take them and, and read and go, oh yeah, right, sure. And, and, and pitch it in the nearest bin. So I, I was handed them and people were offered them and I, and I took them, but I didn't keep them, but I took them. Took them momentarily. Was, yes. And it was interesting to see what right. what well, what's this and, and I'm, I'm new to the city and, and there's a lot of raising your hackles around mm-hmm. town and you I kind of wanted to be aware of what was going on to learn my new town and let's see it was it was about a decade later at Franklin Furnace where I had just closed an exhibition of, of restaurant takeout menus mm-hmm. which I plucked from coat hangers on Upper Broadway and all around the city. And one of my co-workers came over and handed me a, a, a plastic bag that had been, that had contained vacuum cleaner filters. And inside was, I don't know, 18 or so fortune teller handbills. And she said, here, you're better at this than me. And so she had saved them and handed it to me and I felt responsibility here. I was given a task. So someone hands you one and you're like, this is interesting. I'll throw it away. Someone gives you 18 and you're like... That's very different. (laughs) That's very different. I'm a collector. I like collections of things. I like collections of of stuff that no one else has because I can't afford Picasso etchings. I like... I love those. I, I didn't love fortune teller handbills. They were foisted on me for crying out loud. Jackie, why'd you foist this on me? <laughs> but but I've grown to love them. And, and here on the wall, as Jeff and Pamela's students at Parsons put up, 
is an exhibit that made me love what I'd held for 37 years without love, but some sense of duty. So you, but did you started collecting them on your own? Yes. Yeah. Was that out of a sense of obligation rather than interest? Yes. It was, it was put upon me. I said, you're better at this than me. And I admire Jackie immensely. She yeah. taught me 94.37% of what I know about fundraising for funky nonprofit missions, yeah. which is not, there's no book. <laughs> Jackie knows, Martha knows, but I'm trying to catch on. So then as you, as you took on that obligation of collecting these, where did you start to find them? How did you? They, they were still handed out in yeah. the, in the '90s, but then I don't. I don't, I mean, I didn't pay attention. I yeah. don't know when they started being in the curb subway ad space. Yeah, um, up above. So for the listeners who aren't based in New York, when you're on the subway, there's ads that are up and above uh, the the seats on the trains, and they have a, a plastic case kind of thing that sheaths over them. And what people will do is pop that open a little bit and then tuck one of these handbills in. So you'll look up and it will be an ad for some tech company or some dentist. And then you'll see, Miss Lucas says, don't give up. Spiritual reader and advisor. And then it will be a text of pseudo-mystical, pseudo-Christian text. And then a phone number or maybe an address somewhere out in Queens. And they are everywhere. You see them Quite often in the city still. Yes. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of the same one. There are certain ones that that I bet a a large percentage of New Yorkers would recognize. The one that I'm thinking of right now is Keanu. Yeah, that's That's, everywhere. That is everywhere. It's a purple one often. I've never seen it purple. I've always seen it black and white, but it's got like a triangle and there's an eye. Yes, Not not like the Illuminati, but there's an eye on the triangle itself. Yes, maybe I'm mixing the purple up with another one, but yes, the triangle. I I know the purple one you're talking about. That's a different one. There's a color one, which is color printing. It's a postcard, color printing. So the the original handbills that Jackie handed me were all crappy Xeroxes. And sometime in the 1990s, I know from my collecting of Chinese restaurant takeout menus, printing came down in price and up in joy factor. It <laughs> became colorful and you could use cardstock and it was the same price as it used to be just a regular old Xerox. And so menus and fortune teller handbills at the same time got glossy. Yeah. And two-sided. Oh, yeah. That purple one is fancy. It, it has... I think it has like a chakra thing on one side. It's, it's yes. pretty... It's got yes. a lot going it's, on. It's, it's eight colors or something like yeah. that. Yeah. The purple is the main color. Purple is the main color of fortune telling, I would venture as an expert here today. <laughs> do you know anything about the Keanu ones? Do you, do you know when those started appearing or anything No, like I don't. I did not date this collection. Yeah. I did not... Put them in acid-free, pristine, unbent condition. Yeah. Um, so most of them have dinged corners and such. I called Keanu once. 
Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was curious, and I said, "All right, I got the flyer. I'm going to go ahead and do this." Isn't it? Isn't it Kino, not Keanu? Oh, maybe you're. Maybe it's Kino, which is which is a gambling game. It's something like that. It's funny. I've seen it so many times. So, so there's three card Monty. There's yeah. spiritualism. There's and then there's Arizona, Kino and Kino. I but it's not Kino. The 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 Vegas thing is K E N O. Yeah. So this is K-E-A-N-O. Yeah. So I don't know if it's Keanu or Kino or right, something right. else. Yeah, I guess I, I always pronounce it like Keanu Reeves. But yeah, like yeah. See, like, that's because you're, you're, you're a Ute. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was coming home and I called up the, the yeah, Keanu yeah. number and somebody else answered and then they connected me to, quote unquote, Keanu a moment oh. later. And this deep voice is like, hello. And you get one free reading. And he gave me a few things that were kind of random words, um, like blue and snowflake and sidewalk. And the interesting thing was that I had just had this weird encounter where I'd walked past this crazy lady on the sidewalk who was ranting and raving. And somebody else was being sort of like like some frat guy was kind of engaging with her and egging it on a little bit. And I, uh-huh. I very gently and teasingly told him not to do that and kind of turned him around in a very interesting way. I had some quip and he was like... And it worked. And it worked really well. And I came home and I was in this weird mood. I was like, I'm going to call Keanu. I've got this flyer in my hand. And so I was like, okay, the sidewalk (laughs) thing is interesting. But then it very quickly turned into, yes, well, for for me to tell you more, you need to do a full reading, which is 30 minutes. And then it became the sales pitch right away. Well, I mean, but what... Carpet salesman doesn't. No, of course, of course. I'm just curious of how many kinos are out there. You know, is it the hotline is redirecting to the next available psychic? I I don't know, but I, alongside the handbills, I saved articles from newspapers and magazines about fortune telling in New York. And there are definitely cases that have been proven to be criminal and tied to organized crime and people are cooling their heels as they say on the other end of that spectrum there are definitely people who believe this with every ounce of their fiber and are in it to help people and it's a big spectrum yeah this what 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 i say fortune teller handbills, the amount of sciences or pursuits within that name that I use most commonly, from tarot to feng shui to a million other things. It, to People read eggs and coffee grounds and tea leaves and umpteen other things. They just trust their own heart and how... There's as many hearts as there are living beings. So it's a fascinating hole for more than just rabbits. <laughs> and I think it's a thing that so many people in New York are curious about because you either see the flyers on the subway or you walk past, you're in a nice neighborhood and you walk past one of the little storefront psychic yes, shops yes. that's got the, the crystal ball or the tarot palm hand up in the window and the $10 reading sandwich board out front. And I've always been walking by and I'm like, wow, this is a really nice neighborhood. Rent has got to be expensive. I wonder how much they're making off of people coming 
just in from the street to get a tarot reading. It's kind of astounding that you'd be able to stay in business when the the restaurant across the street is on its 20th tenant in the last five years. And they're selling $9 soups. It does, yeah. And you can get a free question or a $5 question. Yeah. It's it astounding is the word, Devin. Yeah. And I've thought about that. And that's, that's, I've never stepped into one of those. Yeah. Because I have this culturally imposed fear of being had or being taken. Sure. And, and, and falling prey. There, there, I think there's a resistance to it because I felt that when I called Kino or Keanu, whatever the name is, um, where I was like, I'm alone in my bedroom. It's just somebody on the other end of the phone. But I had that fear of, ah, and, what and, am I? And, and don't they know it? I mean, he, he, the real ones must just despise the, the bogus, the, the criminal ones. It must just, I mean, and they're, they're, I know a, a, a handful of people who do this professionally and they're not the type of people who despise things. Yeah. But I've, I, I never asked them, and I, but I just know that they deal with it. It's a fact of life. It has a stigma that smells far and wide attached to it. So what do you know about, because you mentioned that you, you collected some articles on the criminal syndicates yes. and stuff. What have, what have you found from those articles? Well, it's, I mean, there's people who take people. Mm -hmm. and, and, and rather than go work for your own, that they find it to their advantage to take advantage. And, and so watch out. You need to watch out. You need to watch out in New York at the deli. You need to watch out at the museum. You need to watch out the whole time you're here. That's the... When I got here, I was told, walk straight ahead, don't look people in the eyes, keep your hands at your side, not in your pockets. Why can't I put my hands in my pockets? Because you're protecting something that someone else will see that, oh, he's got something there that he's putting his hand over to protect, and then they'll want it. These were tough rules. I, I've come to find people like Devin. He's a complete stranger. He contacted me, and I, I like this guy. We're, we're, we're meshing, I dare say, mm -hmm. and... and so that wouldn't have happened if I didn't trust. I mean, come on, a wizard calls me? This is the coolest. I've been thinking about this forever. And and and, and I was wondering who's going to be weirder. And I, it's me. I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not wearing my full robes right now. No, but I you best come to my birthday in that green thing of the Who's you watch, baby. <laughs> Come on, that you're you're nine feet shorter than I thought you were. <laughs> when did you notice the psychic flyers change from the people that were handing them to you? I didn't. You I did. don't. I don't know. I don't know the answer to when they handed them to me to when they got stuck in the in the subways. I think they were always sometimes around. A couple of the ones in the archives here at City Reliquary have um, pebble grain. They they they. They were on the on the tar in the, in the street and mm. had been rolled over by a car or stepped on, but it was one I didn't have, and I picked it up. and And, and you can see that they're bumpy, almost like Braille. There's, there's yeah, and and there'll be like some black smudge on them or something like that. But I saved them because they were different. So so I didn't pay attention. A lot of them come from these tables, Devin described these, these storefronts, um, which I I have come to. Think about them a lot 
recently, after I gave it away to the reliquary, I realized that I hadn't written about it. And I called the next day and said, um, can I get some photos of that stuff that's yours now? <laughs> and, I, and I wrote an essay about it. And, and I passed a few and I, fortune teller windows. Mm-hmm. It's always a street front window. Yeah. And they always have tarot and crystal and richly patterned curtains and carpets is part of the the gestalt or the shtick of it. Um, And there's usually a cafe table out front on the sidewalk with some more of these materials and a a stack of the handbills. And I would pluck them off the... on the fly, without yeah. even bothering, I had never stared into one of the windows. It's kind of foreboding, and you don't want, like, if you're staring in and the, and and the the reader is there looking out at you. I feel like oh, they're gonna draw me in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I my partner and I were walking around the West Village a couple of months ago, and we passed one, and we're like, "Let's go in. That'll be a fun little random thing that we did." And then there. I think the the psychic herself was out and two little kids were hanging out in the back room having a little handheld video game thing. And so there's, I don't know, one of them was maybe four and the other one was six. And, or maybe a little bit older, maybe eight or so. But they're like, oh, she, she'll be back in a minute. And we stood there and we're like, nope, I think that we're, we're going we're gonna to keep going. But it was just, and I talked to other people who've had the same experience of they go in and instead of being the like, Come and sit and welcome. It's yeah, like yeah. a home scene, you know, that's like someone's got a so, kid on their lap and then they're reading the cards. So I have a big wooden sign from one of those that was around the corner from my home for many years. And, and I I thought the, the fortune teller had a sweetheart. She was a palmist. Yeah. I thought she had a sweetheart lease. I thought she had an old one of these 1960 New York leases where you pay $74 a month. And, right. And you're, you're good with rent stabilization for a long time. Or some of the ones in Greenwich Village. I mean, people own buildings. Regular, ordinary people get to inherit a building and have it. And they rent out the big places and they take that front storefront little corner room for themselves or rent it to someone for what their whole rent is and Mm -hmm. I I don't know how they get it and but it's always a small storefront and they're they're among the smallest shops in New York they don't sell books on tarot reading or or they don't have a a, a, it's not it's not it's not a new age bookstore it's not a shop it's a very different Thing. There are new age bookstores which yes. are are larger and and have nice. a different vibe. And even if yeah. someone has a tarot reader there, I think it still is very different than these little storefront ones, which are specific and and one service only. So I don't know how it's changed over time, but I was reading a book by Joseph Mitchell, who was yes, yes, you know, yes, a writer for the New Yorker in the 30s and 40s, and writing a lot about New York's history, you know, older times than that. And he had a couple of different articles on the gypsy or, you know, the, the term we use now is Romani, yes. the, the different people that were living in New York. And he, one about the women specifically who had developed this fortune telling trade and that was a common thing. And they apparently had, it was like the way that a, a startup investor, you're going to throw a lot of money at a lot of startups and most of them are going to fail. But then when you hit it, 
you hit it hard and it's worthwhile. So huh. a lot of the fortune telling is someone's coming in and they can tell they're shrewd and they say, okay, I'm going to give you a basic reading. Here's the little spiel. And then they send them on their way. But then when they get someone who comes in and it's some little old lady that is afraid of something and they figure out that she has money, then the con comes into play. And then there's this whole secondary art of getting that person you know, hooked yes. and coming in for more readings. Yes. And you eventually convince them that the problem is that their money is cursed. And so they have to come in and bring you all of their money and you're going to cleanse it. And so you wrap the money up and you put an egg and you rub the egg all over it and you do this whole rigmarole and somehow you switch the wrapped bundle of money with a thing that you had under your skirt that was a, a dummy, like a, a sleight of hand trick. Yes. And then you hand it to this woman and you say, now you've got to take this back home and put it under your bed and don't open it for seven days. And in those seven days... The, the whole crew gets out of town and then eventually this little old lady comes to the police and says, I've got a, a whole thing of shredded newspaper that I've traded for my fortune. That That is the classic scenario. Yeah. And I guess Mitchell may have made that. You know, there's discussion of Joseph Mitchell and how much of this was fiction in fact. And he right. wrote a good story, but yeah. we all know that a good story is not... A pure story, yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah. That's fascinating. And and Jeff Stark from Parsons pointed me to Joseph Mitchell having written about them, and I, and I sort of should have known that. That's like that's perfect for his beat. But I I I found so 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 knowing about Joseph Mitchell and these essays from the New Yorker mm-hmm. made me think that this collection. In, in my writing about it, after having given it away and realizing, oh, geez, I never did anything. Why did I spend 30 years doing this? I should show something for my effort. Yeah. And it, I, it dawned on me that it's this collection, this archives, is as much about fortune-telling as it is about New York City mm-hmm. as a cultural and social site. Yeah. Um, so it... it and it speaks to the hurly burly. It speaks to hackles and 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 watching your back and and we all you have to toughen up to move to New York and 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 make it here. To quote Frank Sinatra, and you're seeking from something here. I think you know. There's a lot of people that are yeah, seeking that's, something. That, that's a nice addition. Yes. They're looking for something, and it's a hard city to know what you're trying to find and where to go or which option to turn to next, or you feel like you don't have any options and everything's swarming around you. And so I think that can be part of the appeal. And it's, you know, when you're on a crowded train and it's the commute home from work and everyone's tired and the world just feels gray, I think these flyers pop out in a very different way and they're resonating with maybe not you or me. But somebody, because these things continue to exist and continue to get printed. Well, they're they're intimately tied to the subway. Yeah, as am I. <laughs> any any New Yorker worth their salt <laughs> bagels tied to the subway? I mean, come on, this this Uber crap, please. Yeah. So, tell me about how this. Came Sorry, out. did I just scotch your whole? No, 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 no. You're great. Um, so tell me about how this came to be at the City Reliquary. You had this collection for a number 
of years. Decades. And you, decades. And you begrudgingly uh, assembled it and continued to piece it together. When did, when did this idea of bequeathing it to the reliquary and giving it new life and presentation come together? The, 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 the pause there was, was me pursing my lips in 17 different ways to try to answer quickly. Um, I'm a collector. My dad's from the Ukraine. He collected, his dad collected. My mom was, don't go buy it. Get it out of the house more. But she was passively assisting in the collection and, and, and liked collecting and understood it as a, as a worthy cultural pursuit. I cleaned out the family home. 60 years, never had a yard sale. 17 rooms, ran their business manufacturing knickknacks in the same house. And I came back to New York to my home with my new wife and our little child. And I had a 26-foot truck full of stuff from Buffalo. And for my 50th birthday, my wife had built Moch, the Museum of Choking Hazards, which is basically my office with lots of nice shelving and a display desk, a desk with a glass top where I can have exhibits in a velvet lined mm. dropped case, which is kind of a dream and a gorgeous present. But then you couldn't see that case because there were tottering boxes. And all of a sudden the Collier brothers of hoarding fame were me and we had serious fights about it and not fights but we we it was it was rough and i can't i need this i want i it's my whole I, and it's, she's it's like a point of tension it was it was more of a verrazano bridge of tension <laughs> um, and something had to give and the best advocate advocation she made was was these are not my memories they're not our son's memories they're not our memories they're your memories and i started my current greatest collection which is a list of places where i place my collections and newsstand archives are at the new york state museum in albany the world's only newsstand archives and archives of my parents' advertising business is at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History in the Work and Industry Division. My Mr. T collection is at the DuSable Museum of African American History in his hometown, Chicago. My 57 boxes and 1,100 pounds of Chinese takeout menus is at the University of Toronto Scarborough's Special Collections Library, the 20th largest university on the planet where they're being digitized and made public and studied from 12 different departments have joined in with Culinaria, their new food studies initiative. And Chinese people at long last are reading this collection of Chinese restaurant menus and deriving new information. And it feels really good to sell things and give things and find new home for things. And it's a lot of work too. I've been a 
I was a founding board member of City Reliquary. I think they started in 2003 or so. It's been a dream of, of the folks for a long time. And I was told by an artist friend, George, you got to do this. You got to meet Dave. And, and I did. And I loved him. They showed my Mr. T collection in their original location. And it had come to the point where the fortune teller handbills were ready to go. I, I'm trying. All my junk will be in the dumpster the day I die. My wife is not going to go to this work. And so what I place is wonderful. It gives us space in the home. It makes me feel good. And it is a future. My name is attached to this. So that's kind of nice. And maybe after my body's been chewed up by science, someone will remember something I did. So I called up the reliquary. I think I texted Dave and he said, were, were you like eavesdropping on our board meeting last night? We just decided we should acquire a couple of entire collections from the community. And then you call like seven hours later. And, and so, yes, we'll take it. And I was like, oh, that was easy. That hasn't happened before. And I, get, I packed it up and organized it and, and brought it over. And then the next day I had these second thoughts and it wasn't, I wanted it back. It was, I hadn't done anything with this. And so I, I, I set myself the task of writing an essay. What did I learn from this? Why did I do this? Where do I stand on these ephemeral issues of, of, of spiritualism, fortune telling, medium, media, wizards and things. And so I, I spent all of, of 2019 till now and I, I on my way in to, to do this really cool podcast, my first podcast, it's like, it, I don't think his name is Devin, I think he's really Ted. This is like a Ted cast or something. It's really cool. I feel so young. Um, I, I, I brought in um, an edition of 36 handmade catalogs for this show. Five are special edition um, with unique things that aren't in the ordinary uh, 30, 31 edition, edition uh, catalog. So that, that contains my essay, which I worked really hard on. And, and I'm done. And now you're done. And now, and it was, I think what's so interesting, because we can see it all spread out all around us, is to think of the stories of every single one of these and how they all took their own journey through city streets, being blown down the road, getting run over by cars, sitting on a table, stack, you know, that they were in that stack until they were the top one of the stack, and then that's when you came by and picked them up. Yes. And yes. all of these little slips of paper have now come together to live here in this place in this time. When you talked about the stories of the paper itself, I didn't no, that's where you were going. I was uh, going to this. I was left on my back suffering from an incurable disease. There was no hope until I heard of and saw this holy woman. Thank God for her. I am well. Um, and there's stories told on the handbills. And those are some of the best parts. And, and the storytelling is, is a feature of this. That I, Devin, your, your unique way of looking at it is helping me learn more. Thank you. Well, I think that was one of the things that we were talking about before is there's a set of them and I'll just have to describe it for the listeners and 
they have three images with little testimonials before, like Carly just read. And when you look at them side by side, you see that the headshots that they're using are the same image. And you can actually see there's one that the photocopy is higher quality and then it degrades like when you copy a copy a copy a copy and you can see how it goes down in quality and the text changes so it's a photo of one old lady in one and then later that same text is used for a young black woman and then the names <laughs> of the psychics are different so somehow reverend mother andrew sister reverend diane Mrs. Reverend Grace and Miss Williams are all using the same headshots. I think that's fraud. Or maybe it's coincidence. No, it's definitely fraud. <laughs> <laughs> or <clears throat> someone's got real talent and the look, look, we are skeptical of skeptics. No, not skeptics. Uh, psychics. Okay. Yeah. Psychic skepticism is a, is a, is a real thing and, and, and the legit ones suffer this third degree as well. Yeah. Um, and some are are criminal. There are criminals. Harry Houdini wasn't a criminal, but he was into this stuff. And, yeah. and, and he just wanted to know. And, and no one knows the answer. So, well, I think, you know, Viagra is a real medication that exists yeah. and you can get from a doctor. But then there's that other breed of the Viagra that's advertised in a blinking banner ad on a website. And this feels like an analog collection of spam to some extent. Interesting. Yes. Like, yes. It's, it's a very, you know, maybe this is one psychic who just kept trying different names and was trying to figure out how to get those calls up. And they had different tactics that they were using or they kept reworking their flyer uh -huh, and trying uh -huh, out things. Uh -huh. I have no idea. They're all they're all very mysterious. Well, well, I keep coming to menus with this, and and why is the number one chef special at every Chinese American takeout on planet Earth sesame chicken? Certainly, not every chef is a specialist in that. But that's just you. You. Why are Koreans greengrocers? Why are Senegalese purse sellers? You, you follow in... Why are there Greek coffee shops? Mm -hmm. But you follow in the line of the people who got here before you and, and you imitate them as a way forward. Yeah. There's a business that I'm imagining some people were aware of, the psychic business, and when someone else wanted to get set up, they said, great, here's the template, let's make your flyer, here's how you pay a couple of neighborhood kids to put them up on the subway... And you get yourself started. And it's a. Do you know the New York Times reported twice last month that the mystical services business is a two point one billion dollar worldwide business? Oh, I'm surprised it's not more than that. That's amazing. Yeah. And it has largely gone online. So this this is a time capsule, and I didn't understand this, but I believe. There aren't going to be a lot more handbills coming down the pike, and that this type of thing will exist in your iPhone or whatever. Yeah, I think it already does. I think if you look up, if you search for tarot cards and you find a website that has the tarot card meaning, somewhere in the corner, maybe in a little pop up, a little video will start playing, and Miss Julianne is ready to do your reading right now. Huh. Click huh. the button. So it's all, it's all. Huh. The, the same energy is transforming into different mediums. Medium, no pun intended. Ah. 
Well, let's um, let's speaking of magic, let's talk about uh, a spell that we can give to the audience to imbue them with some of this energy that we've been discussing. Well, my name is Spiller, but that's not spell. Hmm. I I want people to follow their instincts. We all have instincts. We can't define them precisely. But instincts are not bandwagons. So rather than hop on bandwagons exclusively and go to the latest club and eat the trendiest dumpling, go the opposite direction and look for things that other people aren't interested in that maybe don't even interest you, but gather a bunch of them and you may find yourself learning and lifelong learning is, is lifelong learning. Is that a spell? I think that is a spell. I think that's the best spell there is. Thanks, Devin. Thank you, Harley. For more of Harley's work, visit InspectorCollector.com. And to learn more about the City Reliquary, you can visit CityReliquary.org. And for more of the magic of this podcast as a ritual, where we sort through the psychic debris to seek our fortune collectively, visit Patreon.com slash ritual, where you can help our collection of loyal listeners and ritual participants grow one $4.20 offering at a time. Until next time, may the stars light your way as you find your fortune in the palm of your hand. <laughs>